In this episode, we're chatting to Alice and Christy about how she's navigating the world of freelancing after her breast cancer diagnosis. You're listening to JSDI with the two Lauras. This is the weekly podcast where the two of us chat about all things related to business as a freelancer. We're on a mission to help more social media freelancers to build profitable businesses that fund their lifestyle and work around their families. This podcast is where we share tips, advice and inspiration about business, marketing and social media. And we occasionally have the odd rant about it too. In today's episode, we're joined by Alison Christie. Alison is a freelance ad manager who was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2022. Having gone through treatment and come out the other side, we wanted to bring her onto the show to share with you how she's managed to continue running her business while going through treatment. After the show, you might have more questions and we'd love to welcome you into our free Facebook group, the Social Media Managers Hub. To join us there, go to socialmediamanagershub.com or search for the Social Media Managers Hub on Facebook. Pop your email address in and we'll let you in so we can continue the conversation. We'd also love to know where you're listening, so snap a quick selfie or take a screenshot, pop it in your stories and tag us at the two Lauras. Okay, on with the show. Welcome, Alison. Firstly, before we get into the nitty gritty, how are you? I'm good. This is going to be fun. (laughs) Good. It's so nice to see you here. Yeah, it's good. This will be a good thing to talk about. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, before we kind of get into it, to share nobody's life is easy is it and we all have lots of challenging times but yet when you're a freelancer that often comes with unknown territory of how you kind of move forward and how you cope with these things so hence why we thought this was a good one to chat with you and obviously you were more than happy to do that yeah so before we kind of talk about you and your getting your diagnosis, where tell us about where you were prior to that. What was did your business look like? Like what were you doing? Sure, yeah. So I've been self-employed for about nine years now. I left working in local government way back in 2014 when my youngest child was born. Um started out as a techie VA doing lots of membership tech and all those things. Quickly moved into social media and ads. And then niched further down into ads on Meta and Pinterest and TikTok from there. And in 2022, I'd also actually started a subscription box business. So I decided it was time to do something else and, you know, grow the business in a different way and have two businesses running side by side. But but that was the before. (laughs) I forgot you had that business. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Yeah, That was great. I love, yeah, I remember you sent us... At one point, you sent us, I want to say penguin poo, but it wasn't that. It was something like that. That was like some chocolates or something. Puffin poo. Puffin poo. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Puffin yeah. poo. That was amazing. Go Google puffin it if you're listening poo. and you fancy some puffin poo. I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then let's take us to 2022. You obviously got that diagnosis. What was that kind of initial... Before we talk about that, can you tell us, I think it'd be really useful for people, how did you get that diagnosis? Okay, so I'm ancient. You're not. (laughs) um, I'm over 50, so when you turn 50, I don't know if this is just Scotland, maybe it's UK-wide, but in Scotland anyway, when you're 50, you get just a routine mammogram. So that was what I went for. I had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever no lumps or bumps or you know funny goings on completely oblivious and unaware as to what was coming I just went for my mammogram 
thought, oh, that's not very fun. And then, you know, walked out the door and never thought about it again until I got a letter maybe six weeks later, which was a bit bigger maybe than I thought that envelope was going to be. I expected one sheet of paper, but then when I opened it, there was a booklet, there was instructions for where to go in hospital, there was a hospital appointment. And because of where I stay and I'm not on mainland UK, there was also travel arrangements and flights and all these things in this envelope and just was like, uh, uh, what now? So that letter basically just said, okay, well, we need to, you know, look into things a bit more. Might be nothing because it's your first mammogram, you know, your boobs might just be a bit weird. So, but we want to take a closer look. So I was like, and that's, that's what I thought. Oh yeah, it'll be me. I'll be being awkward and weird. So They'll find nothing, but off I went for that appointment. Did you have any doubt? I had no idea what was coming because, you I mean, you know, I could feel nothing. Yeah. And a doctor at one point in the journey had said to me, it probably would have been two to five years before I would have felt anything. Wow. So wow. I would have been walking around for the next. If I hadn't gone for that first screening, I'd be walking around now, maybe, you know, another three years into the future before I'd ever been aware of anything. So go for your screening for all these things. Do it because that's five years ahead of where you might be, yeah. you know, if you do find something. So, yeah, it was only when I was at that appointment and they kind of said, you know, it might just you might just get another mammogram and then we'll say everything's fine. Or you might get an ultrasound, too, or you might also get a biopsy we'll just they'll see how it went on the day as to what you needed and on that day it just seemed to be getting a little bit more serious as the morning wore on first it was a you know mammogram things will be fine and I was like, okay well we'll maybe do the ultrasound now and then that consultant was going to say yeah kind of looks like we're heading down the biopsy route next and so the the more that day went on you were like right okay maybe this is getting a little bit serious now and that gives me shivers when I say it because it's yeah. just you know you were like Oh, right. Okay. So, so yeah, this is changing. And the tone just changed a little bit. Everyone just got a little bit less cheery and chatty, I would say, and a bit more professional and trying to distract you a little bit because you could see you were starting to get scared and starting to feel the, oh, shit. (laughs) So, you know, trying to distract you a bit more. Mm. And I'd also noticed there was lots of people coming and going. But I was still there. This was lunchtime. Four hours later, I was still there going through all these tests. So by the time you left there that day, I mean, I think I was four to five hours. By the time you left, you were like, right, pretty sure they wouldn't be doing all that if they weren't at least suspicious of something. So from there, you've got to wait for those results to come back. And I think it was probably three to four weeks I had to wait. And that was probably the toughest time really tough because you're just in limbo and you can't you can't tell anyone really because you don't might be nothing you don't want to overreact you're trying to keep going as normal but also your head is just so filled with all the what ifs so when you do eventually get that next appointment and you go to the consultant and they say yeah well actually we found some breast cancer then it's kind of a bit of a relief in some ways because yeah. at least then you know for sure and you're like and then you know they start the whole we'll do everything we can we're going to go through all these treatments we'll throw everything at it it's really early you're really lucky mm. that it's been found so early so you know there's lots of positives so at least then you can start planning for the treatment and the what comes next 
So yeah, completely out of the blue, a f- two or three months that just, yeah, turns everything upside down, really. So how was it in that time frame? So from when you got that letter with all the leaflets to that point of diagnosis, what time frame are we talking? A couple of months, did you say? I think for me, it was three months. Yeah. And so did how did that impact your kind of work? Like, because surely that's quite hard to have that in the back of your mind and still deliver. Yeah, definitely. I think I, at that point, I closed off a lot of my diary because you just, you know, there's just so much that you can head can handle in a day. I closed off a lot of my diary for mm. things you know like yeah. power hours and those kind of bookings and just thought I'll just concentrate on the client work that I have I stopped doing as much on my own socials and all those things because yeah you just your head's just so full of all these other things and you just don't know what's going to come next so as much as you can do the work you're already doing it just made it harder to then push yourself to go out and do new things really And I'd also not long started that subscription box business too. So I was trying to build that and trying to, you know, get those subscriptions increasing and do lots of socials for that too. So the balance between the two was really tough. And as soon as I got that diagnosis, I knew that one of them had to give. So I just stopped the subscription box pretty much there and then because... Yeah, I just knew this was not the time to be trying to grow something that's new. It just had to has to wait for a year or two years. That's fine. It just, you know, it has to have had to find space from somewhere. Mm. And when you got that diagnosis, like, did they give you any support in terms of this is how it's going to impact your work life? This is what you're going to need to do. This is where you can go for, I don't know, any benefits or any support like that. Or was it just you just left to get on with it and you've got to deal with that yourself? When I got my diagnosis, there was also like a Macmillan nurse with the consultant at that time. So they're the ones that they kind of tell you are going to pick up the slack and answer all those questions and help you coordinate different appointments. And and for me, that extra travel and all those things. But really, when it comes to things about employment or benefits or what you're entitled to, then, yeah, you are pretty much left to get on with that and find that out for yourself. And there is lots of information online, but it's kind of up to you to go and find it. Which must be hard when your mind must be full of yeah, you know, all the worries and I'm guessing the anxiety that comes with that kind of diagnosis. To then have to figure that kind of stuff out must be quite overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. Because you've already got the things of thinking about, well, what about you know my family and my kids and your husband and your normal life to think about the impact on them. But you've also then got the, well, what about me and what I love doing? And because, well, we all know when you're self-employed, it's not just a job, but you, you know, you pour so much of yourself into it too. You love it. That's why you do it. So mm. the thought of not being able to do that was kind of like, taking another bit of me away as well, which I didn't like that idea at all. (laughs) And of course, there's the added worry that you don't get sick pay. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I think most of the advice that I was finding was very much around being employed and being able to claim benefits and all those things, which I wouldn't have been able to claim any of, I don't think. 
even though there was bits of information that said, you know, if you're self-employed, you can look at these benefits and things like that. I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to get any of them. And if I did want any income of my own or to just even keep my business ticking over, it was going to be down to me to do that. Because it's not yeah. its not just about the income, is it? It's, it's about keeping your business, you know, yes, obviously for some people they'll have to have that income and that, that is a worry. Yeah. So for some people they can have different tolerances of what they need to earn. But it's not all about yeah. that, is it? You know, you've thrown your heart and your life into growing a business for nine years and then yeah. you don't want that to just fall by the wayside for however long and I guess at that starting point, you don't know how long this is going to go on. You don't know how long the treatment is. You don't know how you're going to feel, how that treatment will literally make you feel. Will you be able to work? Yeah. Won't you be able to work? So there's that kind of emotional attachment aside of not wanting to lose what you've grown. And obviously yeah. businesses, you can bring them back after a couple of years, but that's still an added yeah. worry. Yeah. As soon as you get that diagnosis, it's kind of, I mean, obviously it changes everything, but then you become, you're just always waiting on the next thing, whether it's the next appointment, whether it's the next test result, the next treatment to start. You're just constantly waiting on the next thing. And, you know, it's all very well managed and everyone's great that you that you deal with and they make it as stress-free as possible. But when you just don't know and and also you just don't have control over it, that's tough, mm. especially... Especially, I think, for self-employed people who who have that control and who can decide yeah. who they work with and who they don't. And, you know, let's be honest, we quite like, you know, being in control of our own lives and deciding what we do. And then all of a sudden you can't, yeah. you can't commit to anything. You just can't make those decisions because, yeah, I'll come up with this great idea and I'll start doing it. But in three months' time, well, I might have to stop it. So why would I set myself up to fail? There's lots of that. Yeah, and there's the responsibility of the clients as well, you know, kind of behind the scenes. That's kind of a yeah. weight on your shoulders as well, isn't it? And like, did so did you have those conversations with your clients? Did they know what was going on? At first, I didn't tell my clients. I, I kind of just needed to get my own head around it and just let the dust settle on that. And also, I couldn't really tell them very much at that point. I didn't know... I knew there was an operation yeah. to come first and then I knew depending on the outcome of that operation, the next phase of treatment would be radiotherapy or chemotherapy or both. But I just couldn't tell them when that might be or what that might look like for my business. So I had the operation and that's just, for me, it was just in and out in one day because, you know, it was pretty straightforward. So that was kind of I just treated that like any other minor medical yeah. thing that you might have to go to hospital for it's not a reason to stop working with clients I you know just told them I wasn't going to be available for a few days and then just left it at that but I did tell them when it was getting to the point of I had the test results back and I knew what the next phase of treatment would be but I still couldn't tell them when that would be and it turned out it was three, four months later than when I told them. So, you know, you still told them in plenty of time that for me it was just radiotherapy and not chemotherapy. I managed to miss out on chemotherapy by just a couple of percent and how they work it out. So that was good, I think. <laughs> Sometimes you're not sure. But yeah, I told them in plenty of time so that you could kind of work around things. And because 
this had all been going on for so many months, there was natural drop-off with some clients too. Projects came to an end and I just didn't bother filling that space again. I didn't, you know, I, I let leads fall quiet. I didn't follow up on some things because I just didn't want to take on anything new. It's fine to finish off things and fine to work with long-term clients, but for new things, I didn't want to commit and then not be able to do my best, basically. And how did the clients take it, The what your long-term management clients? I'm hoping you're going to say they were amazing. Yeah, absolutely. They were amazing. They were shocked that this had obviously been going on for so long and they had no idea because to them, things were just continuing on as normal and they would never have had any inkling at all that maybe things were, you know, maybe there were some struggles going on somewhere. So that was good. That was really reassuring to know that you'd still been working as you had been before and they hadn't, you know, picked up on your head being up your bottom <laughs> some <laughs> days. So, yeah, so that was that was good. And they were very accommodating when it came to, well, whatever and whenever treatment is going to be, then, yeah, we'll work around it, which was good. But also you've also have to always remember in the back of your mind that you are a freelancer, you're not an employee, so you don't have rights as such. They can just decide if, you know, if things were looking like it was going to be longer treatment than it was or I was going to be off for longer and worse side effects, then they could just say, actually, let's just bring things to a close. So you always had that in the back of your mind. Did any of them end their contracts early? or No, nobody did. No. There's always this worry that in anything, any kind of illness, any things that pop up in life that our clients are just going to go, oh, go away. Like, And actually, I genuinely think we're all humans, aren't we? You know, we've all, unfortunately, probably cancer has touched probably everybody in some way or not. And mm-hmm. like when you get ill kids, chances are your clients potentially have got children or have children in their life or they're aware of it and they are humans and nine times out of ten clients do respond as a human would you know yes long term Mm -hmm. you've got to have those kind of conversations but it's kind of it's reassuring to hear that that is the response you get because I do sometimes think that we build up this fear that our clients are just going to robotically go right out it's not make business sense and get (laughs) you know and and replace you with somebody else or a robot or something but So that is reassuring to hear. Yeah, it is always a a worry. But I think probably if that's the response you were expecting from some clients, there's probably going to be other little red flags in there too before that point that would make you think, maybe we're not a good fit. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Very true. (laughs) Definitely. So you've got to that stage where you have had the diagnosis, you know what the treatment's going to be, you're starting treatment, You've got some of those clients still, some are naturally dropping off. How did this actually affect you in terms of like income? So I worked out that I lost, I didn't lose, but you know, when I was at my lowest income, it was down by 70% of what it would have been if I, you know, was just had those clients. So yeah, you'd lost essentially two thirds of your business income, which is a lot. Yeah. But also kind of was okay with that I mean I wasn't in some ways because you're like that's a lot of money to be down but at the same time well I knew I could cut costs and you know as a family and all the rest of it we'd be fine without that extra income it's not like we were going to be planning on going any big holidays soon (laughs) so it's okay so you're fine to go down and just yeah 
just work around it. And I was kind of happy enough to to know that my business was still alive and you were still had enough to keep it going. But I didn't want that fear of a long-term client ending for other reasons that have nothing to do with me having cancer is just always there. You know, when you're down to just a couple of main bits of work, mm. you're like, that's just too risky. Don't like that. And also I knew that if one of those did come to an end, I wasn't really wasn't going to replace them. So it would just be they would just die off and that would that would be it. So I had to I had to have a bit of a word on myself and think, well, you're not going to take on long-term clients now. That's sensible for everyone, them and you. But there are other things you can do. You know, what can you do? And kind of giving yourself the advice that you would give someone else if they were asking you, like, so well, what can you do? You've got lots of knowledge and skills and you do have services here that you don't really offer that much. So maybe focus on those things like power hours and strategies and audits and things that that meant I could book just a few slots in my diary, didn't have to be filling the whole week. And I could just kind of work around it. And it is, you know, a shorter time commitment. I didn't have to commit to months of working with a new client, but I could still use my skills and keep up to date and do what I love doing. Although that's also a bit of a problem with that because I actually didn't really like doing power hours. <laughs> I just was like, oh, power hours. Oh. So how did you get over that? Well, I had what I did was I kind of fake booked myself a power hour <laughs> and I kind of went through the whole process and just looked at, well, what is it I don't like about them? Because the actual call part, I like that part. I like the, you know, being able mm. to help people and seeing what they're struggling with and answer their questions. But it was all the other bits at either side that I didn't like. The getting them booked in and then the kind of off board and at the other side that I didn't like. And then when I started looking at it and looking back at power hours I'd done before, some of them I was spending, don't shoot me, some of them I was maybe spending three hours on. <laughs> oh, Alison. I was maybe spending three hours on one power up. A power three hour. So I was basically doing a three hour natural package for the price of a power hour because I'd be, oh, there's this information you might like and here's some examples of this and look at these ads. They might be a good idea for your business. And I was giving them a whole, you know, massive notes afterwards. And you'd built a service that you didn't like because you were over-delivering. 100% over-delivering. And also when I look back on it, over-delivering for the client as well because, you know, once you've been on an hour's call with anyone for something that's sometimes a bit complicated, your brain is a bit fried. And here (laughs) I was after it going, here, have all more stuff. And they're probably sitting at the other end going, stop. (laughs) (laughs) That's enough. You can take no more. (laughs) Go away, Alison. You're overwhelming us. Basically, (laughs) I really was. So, yeah, I had to just make them work better, get proper systems and processes in place and just get happy with delivering what it was people are actually asking for. I mean, if they wanted all that extra stuff, they would have booked a nurture package, surely. So I kind of just had to be, that's what somebody asked for. That's what they get. Here's the recording. Book in if you need some more. And that works far better. And then I did actually start to enjoy them after that. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Did you turn it into a service that you actually like delivering? So that's good to hear. Definitely. I think I'd offered them in the past and they kind of always just sat there as an option. And, you know, if somebody booked in for them, it was fine. But then I was like, oh, then then I you know, was feeling myself that I needed to deliver more. But when actually when you break it down, you're like, no, this is what somebody asked for. 
that's what you deliver instead of yeah yeah <laughs> and so once you'd sorted out all of these different services you you now like your power hours and stuff and I'm assuming that some of the other services you kind of tweaked to work around you as well did that have an income in kind of bringing that income back up to where it was before or almost where it was before yeah so I worked that out too and on on the worst months once I started doing more power hours I was at 50 percent of what I was at before but I was really happy with that because well that's 50 percent of the income I had and I wasn't working the same amount of hours because you know I just had more time in my week as well so I was earning half of what I was before but I had a lot more time just to you know go through treatment and not feel the time pressures and the time commitment pressures as well so was more than happy with that but some months when I was doing more audits and strategies and things too I was only 15% short of my previous income so amazing that was amazing and in terms of the enjoyment of your like job pre pre 2022 post 2022 when you've kind of upped these other service offers in terms of just enjoyment how does that and how kind of satisfied you are with your business are you grateful that in many ways that's happened so that your business looks a bit different now in terms of your offers and your kind of diversity of that income or is your is your plans to kind of go back to how it was before yeah my plan is definitely not to go back to how it was before no way that mm-hmm. no that was that was not clever and I do want to make more changes too I don't know what they are yet but I know there's things that I just don't want to be the same as they were pre-2022 yeah I've just relying far too much on one-to-one work so I want to change that somehow I don't I don't know we'll see how we'll see what I come up with but certainly yeah the power hours and strategies definitely I enjoyed them so much more because I think you when you can see people having those little light bulb moments of okay that's how that works and then you can explain things and kind of break things down and just the feedback that you get a lot of the time too about how that way you've explained something just makes it so much easier to understand or we've been YouTubing and Googling this for weeks and months but (laughs) you've just you know explained that in 15 minutes or something so it's just a really nice job satisfaction in there too I think power hours as well remind us that we know what we're doing or we are the experts aren't they it's nice when you like you say you share a piece of advice or you show them something and they get that light bulb moment and you go oh yeah I forgot everyone didn't know this because I think we take for granted sometimes how much we know compared to to somebody who doesn't work in social media yeah and also people just being able to ask those questions that they think are stupid questions when they're not stupid questions if you don't know you don't know but just having the space on a call to be able to ask those things and like what does that actually mean yeah you know and being able to explain things that you completely forget that people don't understand or what what's that about i don't know <laughs> no, so yeah do you think all of this has changed like your outlook and your opinion on being freelance yeah it has like has it made you more happy to be freelance or more or less yeah I think weirdly it's made me more happy to be freelance 
mean, I know that sick pay when you're in the pressure, when you're self-employed is more. But also, if I had had a job, I know I wouldn't have just said, right, that's it, I'm going off sick now, I'll see you as soon as my sick pay runs out in a year's time. I know I wouldn't have done that. I would have still kept working. You know, maybe I would have taken more full time off. Can you imagine if you had have done that and had have left an employed role for a year and what would you have done? Sat around your house, like waiting for the next thing to happen. Exactly. Was working sometimes the relief that you had that, you know, you, you might go through that treatment, you might have felt a bit rough, but at least you knew that you had that escape, I guess, to, to work. How, yeah. how was that for you? I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone's different. For some people, it would have been, you know, a nightmare. But for me, and probably, yeah, I'm going to guess most self-employed people, it was, it was an escape and a joy just to be able to do your normal stuff some days and another thing to fill your head with so you're not thinking about all the cancer stuff mm. you can just get immersed into somebody's ad account and you know building out campaigns or looking at results or trying to figure out why something's you know working or not working yeah it was just an escape to not think about it and it was also an escape back to the me before cancer because it, it I mean it changes you forever you can't not go back any big experience changes you forever so you know it's it's kind of just still being me when I was struggling with who the now me was. I could still go back to the old me and just get on with my work and do my stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely a relief. If there was somebody else who had a similar experience to you or was going through similar now, what would you tell them? What, like, what are your kind of top tips? Like if you would bump into a freelancer tomorrow who had just been diagnosed with cancer or another, any kind of medical worry what would you be saying that they should be doing to help them through that process yeah probably just I'll just sit with it for a little while don't make any decisions right away don't feel that you have to just close your business or you know or keep working as normal just just let it settle a little bit you will still be able to carry because there's always the next thing to wait for whether it's the next appointment or the treatment plan or the or whatever else so you've got time unless it's an emergency of course but you know you've got time usually to to just sit with it and get your head around it a bit it will probably work out different from how you imagine as well I mean the things that I thought pre-cancer that I would think about I never think about things you know you'd see on telly and stuff before if people had breast cancer they'd be like oh but what if my boobs look weird or if I lose my boobs I've never thought that once <laughs> It's never occurred to me. So yeah, I think it'll be different from how you imagine. Plans will change. Don't be too hasty to plan everything or change everything because this is a long journey and plans change all the time. Timescales change, deadlines change, dates for when things are going to happen change. So you've got to learn to get comfy with that, which is hard when you're used to being in control yeah. of how things what you do it is hard and that's probably the biggest lesson is accepting that you just don't have control that's tough and other than that get support and just get informed read up on everything it's a whole different language and a whole different world that you enter with all these new terms to learn and what it means and you've got decisions to make and you need to know what the impacts of you know 
making those decisions are. So there's lots of great support out there. Macmillan have great online forums. I spent a lot of time on them in the beginning. Macmillan nurses are fabulous too. We also have a charity in the north of Scotland called Clan Cancer that's really helpful as well. Breast Cancer Now, Cancer Research UK. If you're on Instagram, Ticking Off Breast Cancer is one of my favourites. And Dr Liz O'Reardon as well. She is a breast cancer surgeon who has also had breast cancer. She's now on her second time of having breast cancer, so she knows it from both sides. Um, so, yeah, get informed as well. Just start learning. And ask questions. Like, I've, obviously, I haven't been through the same journey as you, but, like, with his disability and the operations he's got to have, sometimes you can just feel yeah. like obviously depending on like what the surgeons and the doctors are like in the room sometimes you feel awkward asking questions don't you like you shouldn't really ask because they know what they're doing but I just think you sometimes just have to just grow a pair of balls and just be ballsy and ask ask those questions and get those answers because you're not a mind reader and they know all that information but just like us in our jobs they forget that we don't Mm. know so you have to ask and get those answers yeah absolutely yeah and it is it's the same there's a whole different language that you'll know from going through Williams treatments that, you know, that I don't know. And absolutely mm. so many different things that you just have to, you have to become an expert pretty quickly and you've got to learn to advocate for yourself. And yeah, I mean, at the appointment where I was told I had breast cancer, I didn't do what they do on the telly and just crumble and not take anything in. I was like, right, okay. So, and then just started asking questions, even if they were stupid to you know things yeah. that just seemed obvious I just started asking loads of questions because I was just like I need to know I just need to know things I just need to feel you've got some mm. control over yeah and some knowledge about what's coming so yeah just start as you mean to go on I've just got another question on that as well like for because obviously you've been through it so you're on that side yeah how can somebody who's on the other side support a friend family member a work colleague when they're going yeah. through that, like, what would you have wanted somebody to say to you, ask you, do to help you? I mean, I had such a lot of amazing support and support will come from places that you just don't even really expect. It's it's amazing. But the other side of that is support sometimes doesn't come from where you thought it probably would as well. It's, yeah, there's, mm. you know, some some people in some situations where you thought you'd maybe be closer through it but that didn't that didn't work so if you're supporting someone through it try not to have expectations of what you think the person going through it will want just ask them instead you know just ask them yeah. what can I do to help you and don't just do the if you need anything let me know because we're not yeah. going to let you know <laughs> nobody's going to let you know yeah it's more like instead of saying like let me know if you want me to cook you a dinner you, uh-huh. you ask them, what do you want me to cook you for dinner tonight? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And don't, yeah, turn up with flowers or send flowers or something like that if you feel that's what that person wants. But don't do that just because you think that's the right thing to do. Just ask them what they would, mm. maybe they would rather just have a cup of tea and you did the dishes or, you know, mm. or you went out for a walk or go out for a coffee or something and just do something to get them, you know, doing something different. Don't, don't assume. I'm guessing... And correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't want everything to be about cancer. You know, you still want to be able to yeah. go for a coffee with a friend and not have to talk about it. So there, I guess there's exactly. a degree that you want. And this will obviously be different for different people at different stages. But I'm guessing there are times where you just want a degree of normality. And yeah. is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd still be going doing, you know, school run and school things and not talking about cancer because why would you at <laughs> the school dates, you know? It's not, yeah, it's not your normal topic of conversation. So, yeah, just you've still got to live your life and you've still got to do the normal responsibilities you have in your home and all the rest of it. So, oh, you mean someone doesn't do the laundry for you? Well, if they, if I've missed out on that service, I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> all right so obviously now you're well and all is good which is obviously brilliant so what's like what's next where are you going now with your business are you going to bring back the subscription box what is it that you're going to kind of plow on forward with with your kind of freelance business like tell us a bit about what where, where you're going okay so I when treatment finished I decided I'd give myself a year to just let that bit come to an end and come to terms with it I suppose because nobody tells you this bit which is that once treatment ends and everyone goes that's great yeah you're finished you're actually not that's when you're the mental side of it kicks in and you get out of fight or flight mode or whatever and you actually have to start processing all those big feelings and I'm not I'm not terribly feely so that's (laughs) tough but you've just got to learn to yeah you've got to learn to accept that you're going to have some feelings now and just learn to work through that. So I decided that after treatment ended, I would give myself that year just to, you know, just chill and not expect too much of myself. And just once I realised that all those big feelings and all those big fears and all those, well, what now and what ifs were coming up, then just like, right, well, let's not just pile any more pressure on ourselves. So I've got, I think, three months left of that. So I'm starting to think about what might come next. And for me, it's probably changes around a better balance between one-to-one and other products and services. And looking back on it, when you're not working as much, you know, that's when all the ideas start to come up. And you start to think, oh, I could do this. Yeah, that always happens with Laura and I. If either of us have a, has a day off, our Slack yeah. is full of ideas. <laughs> Which is why we don't have but, days off anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, then those ideas, oh, I could do this and I could do that. But then when you're going through treatment, you're like, yeah, but I can't though, can I? So you start to get a bit mm. peed off all these ideas because you're like, yeah, well, I can't even do it because, uh. so I think for me, this next few months is going to be looking at those ideas and just thinking what might be good going forward. Did you write them all down? I've got, yeah, various bits of notes and various places <laughs> and various half, half ideas still in my head. But yeah, hopefully I haven't lost any good ones. <laughs> amazing so three months time basically we're all going to be sat waiting for the the, bi- the big reveals get the party poppers out no pressure Alison no pressure. <laughs> love it okay Alison so before we wrap up if there was one final tip you could give someone who is continuing to work and have has a freelance business and also struggling with a cancer diagnosis what would you give them sure so if you're continuing to work commit to a bit less than you feel you can do right now because especially if you've got treatment to come so don't overcommit yourself at the beginning outsource more if you can even if that means there's less money in your business it's going to help you keep your business running if some there's someone else there that can take over from you when you need a break raise your prices as well definitely do that because then obviously you're 
bringing more money into your business without having to work as much. It just makes sense. And you're probably going to need that little cushion if you're not able to work as much. So definitely do that too. I mean, take the chance to stop working on the things you don't like doing as much too. If there's things that you do that you're still doing because, you know, you've always done them, then maybe stop doing them, change them around like I did with the power hours too. Just make it work better for you too. Love it. Thank you so much, Alison, for sharing your story. That's all right. This has been a really great episode. If people want to come and chat with you and ask you questions or outsource to you or anything like that, where can they find you? They can find me at alisonchristie.com and they can also find me on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook at Alison Christie online as well. Alison with two L's, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know, it's so awkward. <laughs> Not awkward, special. We'll put all the links in the show notes anyway, so people can come and find you that way. Yeah. Thank you again, Alison. It's been a joy to speak to you. Yeah. And the rest of you listening, we will be back this time next week in your ears. In the meantime, come and find us in the Facebook group, the Social Media Managers Hub, and let's carry on the conversation. We'll see you then. Toodle pip. Bye.